You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Researchers describe Trojan Source, a hard-to-detect threat to the software supply chain. A ransomware gang takes a page from the Information Operator's book. From double extortion to triple extortion, as other ransomware gangs add distributed denial of service to encryption and doxing. Criminals are now hacking on material, non-public information, the FBI warns. Joe Kerrigan looks at multi-factor adoption at Twitter. Our guest is Steve Reagan from Akamai on API security. And criminals hit healthcare providers in Newfoundland. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Researchers from the University of Cambridge have described a new attack method they're calling Trojan Source. The method abuses Unicode. The researchers explain, quote, Rather than inserting logical bugs, adversaries can attack the encoding of source code files to inject vulnerabilities. These adversarial encodings produce no visual artifacts, end quote. Trojan Source places BD override characters into comments and strings, from where they're moved into source code in ways that compilers accept and that will appear unproblematic to human reviewers. The method amounts to a software supply chain vulnerability. The researchers, both affiliated with Cambridge, write in their abstract, quote, We present a new type of attack in which source code is maliciously encoded so that it appears different to a compiler and to the human eye. This attack exploits subtleties in text encoding standards such as Unicode, to produce source code whose tokens are logically encoded in a different order from the one in which they are displayed, leading to vulnerabilities that cannot be perceived directly by human code reviewers. Trojan source attacks, as we call them, pose an immediate threat both to first-party software and of supply chain compromise across the industry. We present working examples of Trojan source attacks in C, C++, C Sharp, JavaScript, Java, Rust, Go, and Python. End quote. The ability Trojan source has to affect software written in a broad range of languages is noteworthy. The researchers think compiler-level defenses will be important, and they also describe mitigations that can be used in editors, repositories, and build pipelines until compilers are effectively upgraded to deal with the risk. Krebs on Security summarizes a few experts' reactions. Some are surprised by how readily compilers will uncritically parse Unicode. The potentially malicious code also persists through copying and pasting, 
and that, of course, is a common developer's practice. Fixes to compilers will be required to foreclose the possibility of Trojan source attacks. Among other things, the researcher's paper affords what Krebs calls a fascinating case study on the complexities of orchestrating vulnerability disclosure. When the researchers began notifying software firms whose products were affected, they offered a 99-day embargo on public disclosure to give the firms an opportunity to address the issue. They described the reception they received, quote, We met a variety of responses ranging from patching commitments and bug bounties to quick dismissal and references to legal policies. Of the 19 software suppliers with whom we engaged, seven used an outsourced platform for receiving vulnerability disclosures, six had dedicated web portals for vulnerability disclosures, four accepted disclosures via PGP-encrypted email, and two accepted disclosures only via non-PGP email, They all confirmed receipt of our disclosure, and ultimately nine of them committed to releasing a patch. So, the moral with respect to coordinated vulnerability disclosure is that it's complicated, as the kids say about their relationship status in social media. Ransomware gangs continued to evolve their tactics. The Daily Beast reports that the Grief Gang has sought to ratchet up the pressure on the National Rifle Association— recently one of the gang's victims, by amplifying the threat of leaks with an army of Twitter bots created in August and September. The bots have the usual hallmarks of inauthentic accounts. They appeared at about the same time. They neither follow anyone nor are they followed by anyone, and they're focused on retweeting news about compromised NRA accounts. And, naturally, a large fraction of their posting is written in what the Beast calls stilted English— which we take to mean a dialect of shadow brokerese, that commonplace criminal lingua franca. It's a familiar information operator's technique, and in this case it appears to be applied for criminal effect, although, of course, an unstated political motive might be present as well. Some of the troll bots are also tweeting about gun violence and the alt-right, which suggests a possible interest in general disruption. Still, it appears an effort to make the victim's seat even warmer. An FBI alert issued Friday warned that the Hello Kitty ransomware gang, also known as the Five Hands, had added a third threat, distributed denial-of-service attacks, to the now-familiar double extortion threat of encryption, followed by the threat of doxing. The Bureau warns, quote, The FBI first observed Hello Kitty Five Hands ransomware in January 2021. Hello Kitty Five Hands actors aggressively apply pressure to victims, typically using the double extortion technique. In some cases, if the victim does not respond quickly or does not pay the ransom, the threat actors will launch a distributed denial-of-service attack on the victim company's public-facing website. Hello Kitty Five Hands actors demand varying ransom payments in Bitcoin, that appear tailored to each victim, commensurate with their assessed ability to pay it. If no ransom is paid, the threat actor will post victim data to the Babuk site or sell it to a third-party data broker. End quote. So, distributed denial of service continues to enjoy its continuing mild comeback, and double extortion, encryption plus data theft and the threat of exposure, may be evolving in the direction of triple extortion, Encryption plus doxing plus DDoS. The FBI also warned yesterday of a ransomware attack that's familiar but remains prominent. 
gangs time their attacks to coincide with significant events. We're accustomed to seeing attacks timed to hit over holiday weekends, for example, when victims' guards are thought likely to be lower. But in this case, the noteworthy events are financial ones. Quote, The FBI assesses ransomware actors are very likely using significant financial events, such as mergers and acquisitions, to target and leverage victim companies for ransomware infections. Prior to an attack, ransomware actors research publicly available information, such as a victim's stock valuation, as well as material non-public information. If victims do not pay a ransom quickly, ransomware actors will threaten to disclose this information publicly causing potential investor backlash, end quote. The Bureau's description of the way these operations work is interesting, and it tells a story that makes sense with respect to the increased complexity of the criminal-to-criminal market. It begins with reconnaissance, probably conducted by an initial access broker, who will select the right targets to offer the right criminals. The inspiration for the financial event approach seems to have been provided by a ransomware actor who, in 2020, encouraged participants in the Russophone hacking forum exploit to use information from the Nasdaq to lend vigor and urgency to their scams. Soon thereafter, quote, unidentified ransomware actors negotiating a payment with a victim during a March 2020 ransomware event stated, we have also noticed that you have stocks. If you will not engage us for negotiation, we will leak your data to the Nasdaq and we will see what's going to happen with your stocks, end quote. Among the gangs that have adopted the approach of extortion based on material, non-public information was Darkside. Others can be expected to follow suit. From the criminal's point of view, there's very little downside. And finally, lest anyone be inclined to take the high-minded assurances the gangs often tender in their communiques, the Robin Hood shtick they cop when they claim to respect the public good and Avoid hitting targets whose disruption would actually hurt people, like, oh, say, hospitals or healthcare providers. There's this news from Canada. Reuters reports that an apparent ransomware attack detected Sunday has disrupted healthcare management services in the province of Newfoundland. The incident has forced cancellation of some appointments, and the Niagara Falls Review says that healthcare providers in the province have temporarily reverted to paper records. The effects seem more inconvenient than deadly, but still, it's worth bearing in mind the next time a gang talks about how they carefully distinguish legitimate from illegitimate targets. Booey. These aren't targeteers interested in following the rules of war. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Security firm Akamai recently released the latest version of their State of the Internet report, with this round focusing on the security of APIs. Steve Reagan is a security researcher at Akamai, and he joins us with highlights from the report. Over the last 10 to 15 years, we've gotten really good at strengthening application development, SDLCs, and things like this. But when you look at modern web applications and compare them to like API focused applications, you see that the API stuff is sort of not regressing, but they're experiencing the same growing pains that web applications did years ago. It's like history repeating itself. And that became very clear when you looked at like the uh, Spring Boot applications that we examined in the report. We're we're talking hard-coded credentials, uh, SQL injection vulnerabilities, cross-site scripting, configuration problems, you know, just all the stuff we saw with web apps years ago, it's, you're seeing it now in API development. And it's growing pains. Like, it's nothing that can't be fixed. And so we, we explored that. That was one of the, the big highlights for me personally as I was writing the report. The other thing that stood out was watching the criminals target APIs and the way they were going about it. So I highlighted one instance in the report, and it's uh, Twillow is the name of the the application. Really popular service for developers. Mm -hmm. Well, what the criminals are doing is they're scanning the web and looking for the configuration files. And in a lot of these files, you'll find the necessary API API key and credentials. The criminal gets a hold of that. They take your access and use it for their gain, which is very, very bad if you consider that, you know, it's used for text messaging and email communications, things like that. So that, that, that was another standout for me. And what are the take-homes here in terms of recommendations based on the information that you all have gathered? So one of the big, big take-homes for me, and we, we highlighted this when it came in, is organizations need to not only know what their APIs are, like what they're using and how they're using them, they need to make sure that they can find all of them in their organization. So track them, find them down and, you know, figure out where they are and how they're being used. Because a lot of organizations have had incidents involving APIs and they weren't even aware the API existed. So that's Hmm. a problem. And then you look at, you know, now that you know where they are, test them. Understand, you know, are there any vulnerabilities with the API connector itself? Are there any vulnerabilities within the application that's leveraging the API? Test that stuff. You know, there's plenty of 
tools in the market and education available for developers. Take advantage of it. And of course, when it comes to the overall picture, leverage your existing WAF infrastructure and identity management stuff alongside any of your API security offerings. And what I mean by that is tie it all together. You know, if you're, if you're using single sign-on or you know really lockdown access management at your organization or for your customers, make sure you tie that into your, all of your mobile apps or your web-based apps leveraging APIs. Because what criminals will do is they look for those gaps and they look for those weaknesses and they start to you know focus on that for exploitation. You know, you mentioned at the outset that uh, this report was the result of a collaboration. And and it strikes me that I'm seeing more and more of that in the security world, that people are reaching out to, you know, colleagues and sometimes even competitors to try to come up with better insights than they'd be able to get on their own. Absolutely. And that's the way it should be. And it should have been like that from all along. So obviously Akamai is a security company. We're never going to, you know, back away from that. But our overall reaching goal, and this is the, the same for a lot of companies in the space and a lot of security professionals, we just want to make the world safer. We want to make the world better, more secure. We want to see people learn. We want to educate. And if that means you know, collaboration between competitors or collaboration between you know, companies operating in the same space or in some cases different areas of the security industry, then that's what needs to happen. You know, we're, we are not shy with making sure that, you know, we work with the best. And that was, you know, one of uh, my boss's goals when we started developing the SOTI for this year was to try and get collaboration. We worked earlier this year, we worked with another company, uh, WMC Global, to produce a financial services report that literally, you know, we used our phishing data and cred stuffing data, and we used their phishing data and cred stuffing data, and we created a really comprehensive report on it. It's something I think needs to happen more. I'm quite happy we're able to do these type of team-ups. That's Steve Reagan from Akamai. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting uh, blog post uh, came from the folks over at Twitter. This is written by Nick Foes and Nuper Golop. Mm-hmm. They are both senior level folks at Twitter. 
Uh, and this is right up our alley for the stuff we cover over on Hacking Humans. It's titled, How We Rolled Out Security Keys at Twitter. Really interesting insights uh, behind the scenes of what they did here, Joe. Can you share some of the details with us? Yeah, a couple things. Number one, they're letting users use security keys, multiple security keys now. Right. Which is good because when I tell people to adopt a security key like a Yubico or a YubiKey or a Google Titan or whatever it is, they all use the same the same algorithm. It's an open algorithm from uh, – or architecture, actually, from the FIDO network, yep. or FIDO Alliance, rather. And I tell people, buy two of these things in case you lose or damage one of them, mm-hmm. right? Because that way you'd be locked out of your Twitter account. And getting support from Twitter for this, I imagine, would be like screaming into the void. You'd never hear back. <laughs> uh, so use two. And they're letting you do that now at Twitter. But interesting about this blog post, they talk more about the rollout of these keys internally. Because last year, you remember the Twitter hack that happened last year? Yeah. The reason that was possible was because the attacker socially engineered one of their internal people to give up a multi-factor authentication code that was sent via SMS. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And even if you were using a different kind of code, like the time-based codes, you know, these numbers on the apps that we have, like Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator or whatever, that's still susceptible to being asked for. Right. Somebody can call you and ask for it, and people could give it up. So we say SMS is the least secure, and if it's the only one you have, the only option you have, you should still use it. Yeah. Don't disregard it because it's not as secure as anything else. Way better than nothing. It's way better than nothing. <laughs> right. Um, but it's it's a lot worse than using a security key. Yeah. Right? And Twitter has this great blog post about their process of rolling these things out internally so this doesn't happen. They yeah. selected uh, YubiKey 5s the NFC and the the 5C NFC, which are both USB and near-field communication. So you can use them on your computer or you can use them on your phones right. if, you, if you have NFC on your phones, which most phones have. Yeah. So the majority of this blog post talks about how they did this, what their process was for doing this. First, they selected a model and they went with the Yubico, right. the YubiKeys. Then they actually had to go and buy these devices and they had to buy 5,500 of them. <laughs> right, right, and <laughs> some some uh, sales agent at Ubico had a good day that right. day. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry, they didn't have to buy. They had to buy them for 5,500 users, and they bought two of them for okay. each user. Right. right, okay. So they sold 11,000 of these things. Wow. And then Ubico helped them with shipping. Yeah. Then they added the security key to the internal support systems, so mm. that people could register their keys. And then they let people register their keys, and then eventually they flipped the switch so that you would no longer be able to use the old SMS means of authenticating. Right. And I think it's also uh, worth emphasizing here that they switched to these keys and only these keys for right. internal internal use. You could no longer use the legacy right. types of multi-factor. If you're a Twitter employee now, you have to use a YubiKey. Right. 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 Which is great, I think. Yeah. They will never have an attack that happened the same way it did last time again. Mm-hmm. That will never happen to them because mm-hmm. there is no way to call somebody and ask for a code out of this thing. It just doesn't work that way. Right. The next attack is going to have to be different of some kind if it's going to be successful. Yeah. They did have some great lessons learned here. Anticipate global shipping challenges <laughs> was one of the things. Yeah. So make sure that you have that in your plan. Leveraging built-in keys, which are – there are things on your phones, like usually your like – app, like Apple's Touch ID and Face ID mm-hmm. and Android's built-in security key that will actually let you do a workaround. I've actually disabled password authentication on my Microsoft account 
Hmm. I use the Microsoft Authenticator app now on my phone to authenticate into my Microsoft account. Hmm. However, I think that is also susceptible to social engineering attacks as well. Hmm. Somebody could just call me up and say, hey, Joe, go ahead and push that button. I'm about to, I'm about to log in. And you know, I mean, it would obviously require a, a whole lot of subterfuge, but it still works. Another thing they say is track enrollment, right? The last thing you want to do is, is, is flip that switch and lock out maybe half your employees, right? right? right. Um, <laughs> so track enrollment, encourage enrollment, and anticipate support needs, of course. And this is interesting. I found this, this is the last thing they talk about in, under lessons learned, encourage wider use. They actually made it clear to the employees that these YubiKeys were theirs to keep. Hmm. So essentially they're giving people two YubiKeys and they're saying, use these and use them everywhere. And this is fine because once these people leave, Twitter can invalidate the uh, the keys and secure the login. There's not a security risk here if, as long as they properly maintain the login credentials, right? Right. Which is part of any exit process for employees yeah. that exists regardless. But it's great that they're just giving them the people and saying, use these everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to become accustomed to using it at your job. And once you're accustomed to using it at your job, you understand the workflow. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. off to the races. Right. And if somebody has it in hand as they're signing up for new things, I think it's more likely for them to check and say, oh, can I use this hardware key instead of or, or instead of nothing at all or, right. or whatever. So just having that convenience of putting those out into the world seems like a good thing. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as you mentioned, a really interesting uh, article and uh, hats off to these folks at Twitter for uh, sharing this with the rest of the world. I think there's some valuable lessons here. All right, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. 
Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 